Hello and welcome to Reenergize. This is the place to discover more about emerging tech in offshore renewables and how we will meet our future energy needs. As some of our regular listeners may remember, I'm Johnny Love, Project Manager for the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, and now one of Global Offshore Wind 2021's rising stars. Joining me today is another of RE Catapult's rising stars, Ellen Jump, Project Engineer, as we discuss some of the key themes that will be explored at this year's conference. Without further ado, let's get this special edition of Reenergize started. Thanks, Johnny. It's great to be here today. I'm Ellen Jump. I'm a project engineer at Ori Catapult, based out of our Glasgow office, and I work for our floating offshore wind and turbines team. Primarily, I act as a project lead for a lot of our floating offshore wind centre of excellence projects, and also get involved with supporting and leading some of our other floating offshore wind work. I've got a background in mechanical engineering. I've been at Catapult for around three years now. Prior to that, I was working in manufacturing research. I really like working in the renewables industry. I've always kind of been quite keen to get involved in something where I feel like making a positive contribution, supporting decarbonisation and making positive changes for our environment. And especially working in floating wind, it's quite up and coming and there's lots of new developments going on in the industry, which I find really exciting. Thanks, Ellen. That's great. I guess my role is slightly different. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a project manager at the Offshore Renewable Energy Catapult, and I'm based in our Grimsby office in the Humber, which is based around the operations and maintenance of offshore wind. The sort of projects that I work in are therefore very varied. Operations and maintenance carries across all kinds of elements of offshore renewables, from how CTVs transport technicians to how efficient the turbines are at generating electricity from the wind, how safe operation maintenance activity is and how we can incorporate things like robotics and autonomous systems, as well as better understanding the data, the reams and reams of data that comes off from offshore wind assets. My route into the industry was a little bit different from yours, Ellen. I have a geography degree, a geography master's, and then I uh, spent a brief stint designing and selling photovoltaic and uh, geothermal renewable energy systems before making the transition into offshore renewables. I've been at the Catapult for about two and a half years now managing projects and also have project management qualifications from the last five years. Now that's the introductions out of the way, let's move on to discuss some of the key themes that this year's Global Offshore Wind Conference will explore. With the end in sight of the global pandemic, attention turns to the economic recovery. What role will offshore wind play in the road to recovery And how can we build back better and greener? Ellen? I think one of the key things to be aware of is that with offshore wind, the sector deal that had been announced previously had already set great growth targets for the industry. So even prior to the pandemic, we were planning on trying to achieve 30 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030. And this has now been increased to, to 40 gigawatts. So this is a huge increase in the amount of turbines offshore and the amount of energy And with that, there'll be great opportunities for jobs and great opportunities for decarbonisation and and move to cleaner energy. And I think the pandemic's only strengthened the desire to grow the industry. And with things like COP26 coming up and the, the climate emergency too, it really kind of highlights the importance of growth of the offshore wind sector. So I think there's a good opportunity there, but interested to hear your thoughts and things too, Johnny. I completely agree with your thoughts there. The sector deal obviously being pivotal for the change that is being experienced in offshore wind at the moment and offshore renewables as a whole. The increased target from 
30 gigawatts to 40, I think is really significant. And I'm really excited to hear from industry leaders at the conference how we are going to achieve that. We have a roadmap, I understand. You see the projects in development. And obviously, from my position in the Humber, I, I can see the turbines leaving Port of Hull as they head towards Haunty One and the Blade Factory supplying wind farms in the Southern North Sea as well. I feel like we can get there, but I want to see industry committing to that more. And I also want to see how the supply chain in the UK can really benefit from that opportunity. I appreciate a lot of the manufacturers are in Europe at the moment or European based, but there is an incredibly large pool of talent in the UK, especially when it comes to some of the innovative SMEs who can uh, improve the levelized cost of energy for the technologies whilst creating wealth and employment and jobs in UK communities. And these are communities which have been hit hard by the decline in some areas, especially in the northeast of England um, and in the Humber region as well as manufacturing has, has left. To see some of these jobs replaced by jobs in the offshore renewables sector would be a fantastic replacement. In terms of decarbonisation as well, a great topic in, in the Operations and Maintenance Centre of Excellence that the Catapult runs from our Grimsby office. We're doing a lot in that area at the moment, and um, I'm really interested to talk to some of the vessel operators at the conference about their plans for changing how these vessels are fueled, whether hybrid technology will be sticking around or whether we'll be transitioning across to vessels fueled by hydrogen or uh, completely electric crew transfer vessels or a combination of the two, or maybe um, biodiesel. It'll be really exciting to see uh, what's happening in terms of how we can take even more carbon out of the industry. I think we touched upon there or both mentioned the, the offshore wind targets for 2030. I was just wondering whether you think that those targets are achievable and realistic or should we be striving for even more than 40 gigawatts by 2030? The optimist in me thinks that they are very much achievable, but it will require everybody to pull together and pull in the same direction. I don't think it's in particular policy uh, that will be limiting us, but the various different approvals processes that uh, wind farms take from consent to operation. This is a long journey and uh, there's definitely ways to streamline that process so that more gigawatts can be deployed more quickly and we can continue to uh, electrify our energy systems at a quicker rate than we're currently doing. And it also requires, I think, as I mentioned already, focus on what already exists within the UK workforce and the number of businesses that are operating within the sector. And to achieve these targets, I think there's a lot more that can be shared around rather than the same few select suppliers installing monopiles or cables or providing technicians. There are more businesses in the UK that can fill the gap needed to uh, take us towards 40 gigawatts by 2030. Yeah, I'd agree. I think the targets are ambitious in that there's a lot to do to get there but I think they're realistic as well and I think we need to be ambitious if we're going to meet our net zero targets and I know at Catapult we have our analysis and insights team who do our deployment scenario modeling and, and certainly all of our scenarios have at least the 40 gigawatts by 2030 going out to 100 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2050 as a baseline um, and we do have a more ambitious scenario than that too. In order to meet those kinds of numbers, we need quite a lot of that capacity to come from floating wind. Um, so given my role, quite interested in, in that, and there's a lot to be done in the supply chain there to develop supply chains for things like moorings and dynamic cables, which just don't really exist at the scale that we need them to right now. Um, there's a lot that can be learned from oil and gas and a lot of skills that can be transferred across 
for the scale of supply, especially when, when we get to commercial scale floating wind farms, is going to be much larger than has been seen to date. We're doing quite a bit of work at the moment within the Centre of Excellence to try and give the supply chain a bit more um, advanced warning of what we expect the demand on them to be for kind of key components and services so that they can start to scale up. Just thinking about whether or not the targets are achievable, we're already seeing oil and gas companies moving into particularly floating offshore wind. So the likes of BP, Total, Equinor, who are previously Statoil, all with kind of real ambitions to move into floating wind. And we're also seeing floating wind being used for decarbonisation of oil and gas. So, for example, Highwind Tampen that's that's planned in Norway, where there'll be 11 floating wind turbines installed to provide around a third of the power for five oil platforms. I think another thing maybe we want to consider as well when we're, we're thinking about these targets is the need for... And the circular economy, which has been talked about a lot recently, obviously there's going to be a huge amount more components out there, blades, towers, and it's important to start thinking now what happens to those at the end of life and how they can be reused, um, repaired, repurposed so that we're avoiding any waste in the industry as much as possible. Some really great points there, Ellen, and you touched on the supply chain, which is something I've been working closely with over the past year in terms of supporting the Fit for Offshore Renewables program that the Catapult runs. Um, I've been involved in the delivery of the first regional program following our Scottish pilot, which is the Fit for Renewables program, Offshore Renewables program in New Anglia, the Norfolk and Suffolk region. And it's been fascinating to see the, the companies progressing through their journey to become more capable, increase their capacity and uh, demonstrate their competence to deliver what the offshore renewables industry requires from them. And these are not necessarily companies that have been operating offshore already, even in the marine sector. These are coming from very diverse backgrounds. It might be communications or it might be the automotive sector. And they're bringing in their experts in their fields uh, to support the growth of our industry, which is fantastic to see. And um, I can't wait to be able to announce a cohort of companies that have been granted fit for offshore renewable status in the coming months. And this is a program that we're looking to increase and roll out further. The demand is very high and it is clear that there are enough jobs and there's plenty of capability to come from other sectors and support us in terms of the offshore renewables industry delivering on these targets. You mentioned the energy transition as well. This is something we're looking at really closely in Grimsby in partnership with our colleagues in Scotland and Aberdeen as well, as we look to investigate the role that hydrogen can play in decarbonising our energy systems and how we can really prioritise the generation of, of green hydrogen. Um, this is not hydrogen that has been created from fossil fuels, from natural gas, but instead has been generated through electrolysis, through electricity generated by offshore wind. And I'm fascinated to see how the industry will evolve in periods of low demand and high supply in terms of the wind is blowing, but not everybody needs electricity, uh, how we can then generate and store that hydrogen for a call off at a later date. Lastly, just wanted to echo your point on, on the circular economy. It's been a privilege to be involved in a couple of projects that have been chipping away at the, the big question that is how can the circular economy become the default in the offshore renewables industry. I know Blades in particular has been causing a headache, um, how these can be recycled, how they can be reused or better yet repaired and uh, able to be even manufactured in, in ways that uh, allow them to uh, have a longer lifespan. 
I read in the news recently that a 16 megawatt turbine with 118 metre blades is now in development. And um, knowing our 107 metre blade that's been on, on test in Blythe, knowing the dimensions of that and how um, adding only another few metres to the tip of the blade results in so much more material being used in its manufacture. Um, the scale of the equipment that is used in our industry is, is phenomenal. So to play a part in how that is manufactured and maintained and disposed of in a sustainable fashion is, is really important for the sustainable growth of the industry, in my view. While we're already looking to the future, how do you see the types of job roles changing Eleanor's capacity quadruples over the next decade? So I think obviously we're going to have more jobs as the capacity um, increases but I do think the types of jobs will change. We're becoming more data-driven. So there's more optimization, more autonomization, especially from a, a health and safety perspective, that the less we can have people offshore, the better, really. So that's something that the industry is really working towards. I also think in terms of the topics we touched on earlier in circular economy and sustainability, that essentially that's a whole new sector that will be developing and there'll be associated jobs there, both for the supply chain and the reuse and recycling, but also considering the impacts of different materials and, and researching processes, um, and then maybe roles in decommissioning and, and logistics and materials processing at end of life of wind farms. What about yourself, Johnny? What are your thoughts on that topic? I was just thinking, Ellen, that through my work in our operations and maintenance centre of excellence, I've been exposed to all manner of skill sets that are in demand now and will be increasingly in demand going forward into the future. And you've already referenced the need for those that understand data, the data scientists and data engineers who can understand all of the information that is coming off the offshore wind assets and optimise them for that reason. So whether that's using machine learning or artificial intelligence to understand when a turbine might have a problem before that problem happens so that we can strategically deploy technicians to go and monitor or repair assets before they fail. Not only does that save money, but it improves the health and safety of these technicians by only having to send them offshore when there is a pressing need. There is obviously a great pressure to keep people safe in the industry and the best way that we can do that in my view is, is keep them on shore and instead use our understanding of the data as well as improvements in robotics and autonomous systems so hopefully in the not too distant future we'll see robots doing some of the more hazardous jobs more dangerous jobs and keeping technicians out of harm's way and i know already we're making headway through projects like mimri where we have seen uh, autonomous vessels deploy and then deploy uh, other units off the back of them, such as the blade bug, or um, they may be able to launch drones in the future that can do uh, visual inspections without the need for rope access technicians to uh, dangle themselves from the blades. So it's really interesting working with the guys at the OMCE to see how we can continue to innovate in that space. I'm interested to know, Ellen, though, obviously we, we've come into the industry through slightly different routes, but what would your advice be to those uh, for young people who are considering a degree or apprenticeship, for instance, or looking for to get a job in this sector? Just go for it. There really is a huge range of jobs available across the sector um, and lots of different fields kind of touched upon there. There's, there's data, but there's offshore operations, manufacturing, logistics, engineering. Like There's a huge range of things that people could get um, involved in and the environmental characterization of sites, for example, too. 
And I also think there's a route for everyone, whatever their learning style and whatever their qualifications. You don't need a degree necessarily to get into offshore renewables. There are other routes, like you say, like apprenticeships. Think about what you're interested in. Um, speak to people as much as possible. If you can reach out to someone working in the industry, if you have questions or or ask at career fairs. My experience of working in the industry is that everyone's very open and welcoming and pleased to be working in the industry and happy to talk to people who would like to get involved. Yeah, completely agree, Ellen. And I mentioned before that the capacity needs to quadruple to hit our targets in the next 10 years. That is that we have around 10 gigawatts of offshore capacity deployed at the moment and we need to hit 40. And of course, that means employing more people. I'm reminded of a visit we made, a virtual visit, um, pandemic times, of course, to a local school in Grimsby. Definitely one of the great things about the industry is the amount of outreach that we're doing at the moment, raising of awareness and the encouragement of STEM subjects in schools and getting schoolgirls in particular interested in our industry and our sector. And um, we set the children a challenge. This was year nine pupils, a challenge to tackle some of the difficult areas of the industry. This was technicians accessing turbines or how they can escape in case something goes wrong from the top of the turbine. And the solutions that these kids were coming up with were wildly innovative. Some probably doomed to failure, but in and amongst them, I'm sure there was one or two that would have significant potential going forward. It's clear that these children are interested in this subject area. In Grimsby in particular, you cannot escape the fact that the offshore wind industry is in town. And um, it's, it's really exciting to see the sort of next generation coming through who are wanting to engage. And these were kids who are interested in computers as well or, or maths or the more of the science side of things. But then others with the more humanities type skills were really able to offer some of the, uh, the human factors side of things when they were talking about the turbine escape system, for instance. Yeah, we got to share with them a bit about our journeys. Honestly, looking back, if I was able to get into the industry any sooner, I wish I would have done. It's such an exciting industry to be in, in my view. You've already mentioned the people are fantastic, uh, so open and friendly. And I think as a whole, we are pulling all together in the same direction and very cognitive of the fact that we need to bring a lot more people along with us to achieve what we want to achieve within the industry. So I think that's us just about to wrap up this special edition episode of Re-Energize. But before we go, what do you hope to see come out of Global Offshore Wind this year? I think I'd sum it up, Ellen, by saying I would like to see a step change come out of Global Offshore Wind this year. There's been so much in the news recently with the most recent climate change report, the drive towards net zero, COP26 coming up in the next few months. And the fact that the whole world has been through a pandemic this past 18 months has demonstrated what we can do when all our targets align and we uh, work towards the same goal. And I would really like to see us as the UK and Europe and more widely, the offshore wind community, the offshore renewables community really draw together and pull together to demonstrate the seriousness of the climate crisis and uh, how offshore wind really does have a credible solution. I think that coming together piece is, is really important. And one of the things that we've seen is the industry could do a lot by sharing more lessons learned and prior experience especially so for the likes of floating wind there are lots of lessons learned from oil and gas and we want to capitalize on those and not make the same mistakes again so I'd really like I think to see those relationships being built and industry agreeing to work together um, to solve some of these shared challenges 
so that we can speed up deployment and reduce the cost of energy as well at the same time. Are there any particular sessions that you're looking forward to? To be honest, Ellen, I'm really keen to go along and support my colleagues, Stuart and Anthony, who are speaking on maritime space and vessel decarbonisation in particular. There's a lot of exciting stuff coming out from some of the collaborations that we have at the Catapult in this area. I can't wait to go along and show my support and be available to speak to any interested parties as well. There's a number of projects in the pipeline that I'm not at liberty to disclose anything about at this point in time. But um, I mentioned a step change just now. Hopefully these will represent a step change in vessel decarbonisation in offshore wind O&M in particular. I'm really excited to, to get out and about. Um, it's been a long 18 months. A lot of conferences missed. And so to then see people and just to integrate with the crowd at a large scale conference, I'm really looking forward to. But um, I do love the fact that this year it's a hybrid event. So there's plenty to catch up with online as well. If um, you're not able to make it because tickets are, of course, limited for uh, safety reasons. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the event too. As you say, it's been been a long time since I've seen anyone um, in a work capacity in, in person. There's quite a few float and wind sessions I'm looking forward to. So Ralph Tower, who is the Centre of Excellence Programme Manager, is talking a session which is looking at supply chain, materials, um, local content and industry collaboration. But there's also quite a few technology-focused floating wind sessions, which I've spotted one on shared moorings, for example, some on dynamic cables, and then some lessons learned projects from some of the turbine OEMs. I also think that there's a couple of just transition sessions, which will be really interesting. I think the just transition and an idea of that's really important to consider, both on a, a local and global scale, um, especially bearing in mind that a lot of the time, the people most affected by climate change are in poorer regions who are contributing least to it. So I think it's really important we make sure renewables are delivered responsibly and, and create jobs and benefit all communities. So I think um, Tony Quinn, our director from our test and validation directorate, is speaking at one of the Just Transition sessions. So I'm hoping to try and get along to that just to meet people and, and get out to the event will be really good. On behalf of Ellen and myself, thank you for listening to today's episode. It is now time to de-energise until next month. In the meantime, listeners can find more about ORE Catapult activities at ore.catapult.org.uk. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn using the handle at ORE Catapult. For those of you going to Global Offshore Wind 2021, we look forward to chatting with you at the conference.